1: Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my pleading dying. The scripture that speaks to us this morning is found in Romans chapter six, verses fifteen through twenty three. Those reading from the Pew Bible will be found on page nine forty three.
0: I think I gave this illustration some time back, but it's, it's so appropriate for this section. I'm going to give it again. So those of you who don't like bugs, I'm sorry. Um, there's a, a wasp of the Hymenoptera family that... And there's several wasps that prey on spiders. But this particular wasp of the Hymenoptera family... <clears throat> does a, a pretty unique thing uh, to the particular spider that it uh, attacks. It first, it targets a spider and then uh, injects its venom, which immobilizes the spider. Then it puts uh, lays some eggs on its abdomen. So everything's fine for a few days. Nothing seems to be any different for the spider. <clears throat> but... The eggs, as they uh, as these little larvae begin to exert their influence, they secrete a chemical that literally changes the uh, makeup of the spider. It changes the DNA of the spider. It changes its whole direction. And so this spider, instead of making its web, it begins to make a cocoon. And in fact, it's interesting, the word that's used, uh, the, the title of the article is, How the Wasp Enslaves the Spider. In fact, the picture, it shows the normal web on the left, it'll be your left, you know, normal round web. And then on this one, it's the web built by an enslaved spider. That's the word of the biologist in describing it. And this web has three or four huge sections that come together in the middle, much stronger by these central sections, and in the middle hangs a cocoon. Spider, instead of spinning a cocoon, I mean spinning a web so that it can catch food, actually spins a different kind of web and puts itself in the cocoon It becomes, as they say, an ideal wasp nursery. It becomes a custom-built home for those wasp larvae. And they not only feed upon the juices, but eventually they eat the spider whole. It becomes their first meal and their protection against the elements in this cocoon that the spider has woven for it. As it ends, talking about devouring it completely when fully absolved, he ends by saying, so much for gratitude. (laughs) I think that this is an excellent illustration and that everyone, Paul would say here and many other places, but Paul would say here in his repeated emphasis on the results of sin, Where in in verse 16, he says, these things lead to death. In verse 21, from God, without knowing it perhaps, is building his or her own death cocoon. And the submission to sin will mean the disintegration of myself. Because that Is what sin does. The picture in verse 23 of the wages of sin, it means the wages of sin, sin is the agent, okay? Sin is the one giving the the wages. And so the idea is that sin is a ruler giving to those in his army what they have learned. Wages are the soldier's pay, and so sin is making the payment death. This is certainly the worst wages anybody ever got paid. Death, then, is sin's final payoff. Talk about a year-end bonus. Death. Death certainly will kill you. I mean, sin certainly will kill you. And death is not just the end, it's the secret goal, you might say, of sin. The life which is not controlled by Christ and falls victim to sin is headed for sure toward death. Paul underscores it again and again, even for these people whom he says have been delivered from sin and brought into relationship with Christ. He continues to hammer that so that There's no looking over the shoulder. There's no uh, looking back thinking that maybe the situation is not so serious. And he is urging them to only give themselves up to Christ. Charles Hodge says, Death is the absolute loss of the life of the soul, which consists in the favor and fellowship of God and conformity to His image. There is life being in the favor and fellowship with God and being conformed to His image. And of course, a life lived in rebellion against God, a life lived refusing God, is rejecting all of that. It's an abiding separation in the end, the complete ruin of human existence because we are made for God. And as we've said so many times, we, uh, what we say we want to be apart from God, we will have in the end. If that's what we want, we will surely have it. Morris says, sin finally leads to the loss of everything that can really be called life. And that occurs progressively here. It occurs in relationships. It occurs within our own psyche. It occurs in society And there's this final absolute manifestation of it in the judgment of God. And so you and I must keep clear in our head the nature of this enemy, the nature of Satan who is drawing us into it, the nature of his effort toward us. And of course, the sense of people and our own sense that we make and say we experienced at one point is that we were free. Uh, interesting and and rather uh, tragic, of course, not rather, but infinitely tragic, that a, a person like you or me, dependent upon God, would declare ourselves independent of Him. When He gives us life and breath and everything that we have, He's only, the only reason we're here, we're creatures, okay? We've been made by God. And for us then to say we're independent of God is certainly one of the most pathetic things. For me, as I've said for so many years, that I'm my own man, I'm independent of God, I'm free. We're never more enslaved, of course. The minute we declare our independence from God, we immediately are enslaved to deadly, deadly powers. And of course, the characteristic of bondage to sin is that the one who lives in sin thinks himself free, thinks himself his own master. And interesting that in the history of the world, Christians have been declared as even at times subhuman, because they give up themselves to some supposed God. How demeaning, instead of establishing yourself and glorifying yourself and putting yourself forward, that you would degrade yourself in obedience to a God. And of course, that becomes our glory, to be in relationship to this God who made us for Himself. That's when we become most human. That's when we take on our kingly and queenly attributes. The more we become like him, the more we look like the vice regents of creation for which we were made to live in dependence upon this God. It is our glory to live in dependence because that is what we are, dependent. And obedience to sin, as he says here, talks some about the death of sin, but now, this this slavery of sin, as he talks about our devotion to sin, he keeps emphasizing the fact that you're a slave of the one whom you obey. And the thing we have to constantly realize is that when I turn to sin, I'm turning to sin to depend upon it as my God, as as my life. Uh, it's really a question of where will I seek life under the authority of God or under the authority of sin? I will be under authority. I will surrender myself to something. What will it be? I have no choice but to surrender myself. And here's an Adam and Eve and all in them by nature. We have surrendered ourselves to sin. By not relying on God and trusting in Him, by not adoring and admiring, praising and worshiping and giving ourselves up to Him, we give ourselves up to something else, another power. So it's that stark reality that helps us many times clear our heads, realize the, the huge situation of what true obedience is and what, Sin really is and what it really seeks in my life. The demeaning act of adoring and worshiping that which is in rebellion against God and rejecting the glorious God who made me. It's interesting, he says, the only thing we're really free from, in verse 20, you were free in regard to righteousness. And as Origen says, this free really means alien to righteousness. Yeah, that's what you are free from. Free from doing anything that's right in the sight of God. Free from being like God. Free from enjoying God. Free from trusting God. Alien to righteousness. And so this submission of ourselves to sin as a king... Or as to a military commander, it's the acknowledgement of a superior power and authority. That's really the place we put sin in if we turn away from God as a way of life. We're treating that as our superior and we're saying, give me life. Give me significance. Give me meaning. Give me fulfillment. And the tr- the truth of it is, we all have come from that place. We all are blind to the glory of God. We all, Paul says, there is none who seeks God. Not one righteous. No one understands. Chapter 3. All have turned aside. Turned aside to what? When then he, he goes on to, as you know there in chapter 3, to talk about all the nature of our sinful actions. We've turned aside to idolatry. That's chapter 1 of Romans. That we did not uh, thank God. We did not acknowledge God as creator, but we turned to worship the creation. We turned and made idols of this world. We turned to something other than God and called it God. And so sin... Pays regular payments of shame, as Paul talks about here, and death increasingly till finally it takes our life completely. When he says, what good or what fruit were you getting at the time, that time from the things of which you now are ashamed?" generally the idea of fruit is good. And so he's basically saying, as you look back on your life, as you look back on that path, what good was coming from it? What benefits were coming to you, to those around you? And here is Paul calling them to consider those things, to keep sensitive about these issues so that we always are giving ourselves up to the grace of God. This can be... Uh, this can be hard to listen to. It can be depressing. It can can make us think, "Well, gosh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't have a clarity about these things. I've I failed in so many ways." The the encouraging thing about this passage, though, is how he says this in verse seventeen. Thanks be to God that you were you who were slaves of sin have become obedient. And then I just want to point out. Uh, our time is limited this morning, but I want to point out how God's power and grace is emphasized here. He says in verse 17 that you became obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching and we'll, to the imprint of teaching. We'll look at that more next week. To which you were committed, or the word really is to which you were delivered. Same word to, that Christ was delivered up on the cross, God delivered you up to this teaching, which is the gospel. That's encouraging that God would take my life and deliver me up to this gospel so that, as he says, you became obedient from the heart. This this recalls at the end of chapter 2 when he talked about A true Jew is one who is inwardly. It's a matter of the heart, he says. And that's the promise in Jeremiah and Ezekiel in the new covenant. I will put my law in your heart. I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my ways. And So the encouragement of this passage is that, yes, the standard is absolute in the sense that This is the Lord Jesus who has sacrificed Himself for us. He is exalted above heaven and earth. What else is He worthy of but the giving up of myself to Him? I can't do it perfectly. I will never be perfect in this life. But the basic idea, the basic notion that I will give myself up more and more to Him. And it's the difference in what I've done in running, which is almost nothing... Uh, One time when I was in my 20s, I ran with this older man. He's 20 years older than me. And he regularly ran, you know, 15 miles, 20 miles. He ran marathons. And so this particular night, he says, you want to go out running with me? I said, sure. And uh, we're running along. I said, how far are we running? He says, I don't know, seven miles, probably, something like that. I never run more than two in my life, ever, ever. And that killed me. Okay. I sprinted a lot. I played, but I didn't run long distance. That was not. And I mean, it hurt and it hurt badly. And that's about the extent of my running. I do some exercise, but I don't run. That's just not what I do. I I do some aerobics, but I don't run. So my training for running could be said to be almost non-existent. And I'm not shooting for anything. Some of you, have and are training for marathons or more, Ironman, this kind of things. So you give yourself so completely to it. We see that's the idea here. Not out of a joyless obligation, but because of the amazement that we have over the Christ who has given himself for us. And the glory of this one who would sacrifice himself, though he himself is a king, and now he's exalted at the right hand of God. How worthy is he? How worthy? I think of Psalm 29. And this, of course, long before Christ revealed the Father in a whole new way. Ascribe to the Lord the glory and strength ascribed to the Lord, the glory, do His name. And that's what it is. The glory of Christ, do His name. But how does it happen? He delivers us up to this. And then the, the further passives you were set free from sin. I didn't set myself free. You were set free from sin. And you've become slaves of righteousness. These are all passages that what God has done for you. He set you free. He made you a slave of righteousness. He made you a slave of His covenant faithfulness. He made you a slave of the revelation of the death and resurrection of Christ. He made you say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. And I know of no better passage to close with in... That explains or or reveals even more of what this process, how this process worked as 2 Corinthians chapter 4. After saying that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You get the picture that the glory like the sunrise is there, but they're blind to it and they can't see that glory of Jesus that's revealed in the gospel. And and there is a, a great picture of what the gospel is. It's the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's the good news of the beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ. And then he says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. So he goes back to Genesis 1 to the very first day of creation when he said, let there be light. That God who said, let there be light. In a sense, said, "Let there be light again in my own heart," as he puts it. He shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, that's just saying in a fuller way, perhaps, what he says here: that you were delivered up to this gospel. You you, were—he shone in your heart so that you could see the beauty of Christ, and seeing that beauty. You long to give yourself to Him. And so, a wrong way to approach this would be, well, I'm just going to buckle down and start doing the will of God. Well, if that's not a part of your love and devotion to Jesus, your worship of Jesus, your are being taken and amazed with Christ and what He's accomplished for sinners, then it is what Paul would say in this very book just the letter of the law just the letter of the law and not the spirit not the holy spirit renewing us so that fundamentally we are in awe of jesus christ we are in awe of christ and we want to give ourselves up to him and this covenant meal is is basically that renewal that renewal that fellowship that celebration of fellowship, to sit down at meal with God, to be in His presence. We read of how the elders were there in the presence of God on the mountain in Exodus. And He smiled upon them. His favor was upon them. And here, in an even more intimate way, we are in the presence of God through the precious work of Jesus Christ. We have come within the veil. We are forgiven through the blood of Christ. We are renewed through the power of Christ. So come, come and celebrate your being set free from sin. Celebrate the Lordship of Christ which changes anything and everything in us. Celebrate this God that would shine in our hearts to to have us see the glory of Christ. And if you don't trust in Christ, at least begin to pray that. Many of us began right there. Oh, Lord, same same with Moses, same prayer. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Lord, I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to just show up at church week after week. I don't want to have a heartless religion, just obeying the rules and sticking to things because I'm supposed to. Lord I want my heart to be ravished with your beauty. Will you not rest? And of course we'll constantly be praying that because we we can never constantly be ravished but that's at the heart of these things being delivered up to the precious good news of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we Once we're slaves of sin, as Paul says. It is only by your grace. It is only by your deliverance. It is only by the powerful work of Christ that we could have new desires, that we could see differently and feel differently. Lord, that we could recognize your majesty. Sin had us by the throat, Sin had us spinning our own cocoon. Oh, Lord, the end of those things is death. But the free gift of God in Jesus Christ is eternal life. Oh, Lord, may we celebrate the life that we have even now. The life of favor with God. The life of fellowship with God. The life in which all things work together for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. The life in which we celebrate that He who did not spare His own Son but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not with Him freely give us all things? If God is for you, who is against you? Lord, this, this supper is a celebration of what You've accomplished in Your death and resurrection. And may we walk in new freedom. May we deal with sins that we've been running from, hiding from, excusing, sins in which we've despaired and long since given up. Oh Lord, may we walk in new light, new life, because our faith is revived and we look to the mighty Lord Jesus who sets his people free. Bless us and may this supper Be a guarantee to us, a confirmation of the reality of these promises, of the reality of your work that's been accomplished for sinners. Bless us to that end. We pray.
1: Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian.
0: foray, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away, won't you chase my fears away?